God. What up, everybody? It's your boy, medium-sized penis. And we're here to talk Pillow Scream Radio. <laughs> I'm Alex, and you're here with Jim and Mandy. <laughs> so which one of us gets to be <laughs> large-sized penis? <laughs> Clearly <Probably> you. <laughs> I like how your camera's angled just so it only has, like, your eyes. and You look like you're... Like sneaking into a video chat with us? It's because I got this yeah. stupid computer that the NFL recommended. It's also very <laughs> dark there. You look like you're, you're like low-key surreptitiously trying to podcast with yeah. like no one noticing. Well, I <laughs> am. Your, your own co-host won't notice. Yeah, she opens Audacity and she's like, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> that is what I'm trying to do. I'm embarrassed that I'm even here. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> Appreciate it. Like someone won't, we won't drag you on to our wildly successful podcast with hundreds of thousands of listeners. Jeez. <laughs> Thought you'd appreciate the exposure. Because we're not paying you. That's for fucking certain. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, we're not paying each other either. I could barely be half-assed like, to do the monetization for this. Yeah, I mean, yeah, speaking of which, I need to, do we like... We need to talk about who's paying all the bills for these goddamn music subscriptions, by the way. <laughs> all right. do our normal news politics and spicy brain hot takes i think what we're gonna do instead is do like a book report style on something that has been on my mind for about forever and i think both of my co-hosts can attest to the fact that i have a largely addictive personality to the point where if i'm like reading a book or something and fall in love with it finish it just flabbergasted by it i will literally not stop talking about it until like they're just so fucking sick of me also won't so, stop trying to make me read the damn thing it's like <laughs> you gotta read it man you gotta read it it's like the like there's a you're at a family dinner all right setting you're at a family dinner and the doorbell rings and you open it and there's a man standing there with a short sleeve button down shirt that's white and he's got a tie and he looks like he's never had sex ever right and you think, oh, my God, Jehovah's Witness or, or a Mormon or something, right? And you say, hi, sorry, we don't want... And he goes, excuse me, ma'am, do you have a second to talk about sci-fi fiction and fantasy as in a genre and specific <laughs> recommendations I have for you? Also Tool. And that's what it's fucking like every time. Yeah, I'm honestly not going to stop until we're all listening to Tool at the exact same time, at the exact same place, to the exact extent that I do. Like, if your Spotify top 10 for, like, the year 2021 is not just, like, Tool from top to bottom, then uh, then I've fucked up, and I'm not going to stop bothering you. <laughs> Mine was Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a minute to talk about our Lord and Savior, uh, the Malazan Book of the Fallen? Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and you also do a terrible just as an aside you do a terrible job of like making me want to read it because you're like yeah it's like really a slog to get through the first one there's like all characters and names you got to like write a bunch of, you just have to trust you're not going to get it and then it'll make sense in the end but that's like book seven or so 
And I was like, why don't I want I read books to feel I smart. I would say that if it wasn't <laughs> worth it. I hate reading. <laughs> oh my god. Can't talk to you. Anyways, all right. What what we're talking about today is a book, a speculative sci-fi book called Blind Sight by Peter Watts. Spoiler alert, I'm going to be giving a synopsis of just about the entire book. So if you haven't read it yet, I highly advise it. Go turn off the podcast, read it now, and then come back to this one whenever you're done. So a little bit of the background behind Peter Watts. He is actually a marine biologist. And that comes through in some of the writing, and you will see why. But I'm not super concerned with uh, the machinations of Peter Watts's, Peter Watts's brain juices, but I'm very concerned with the book that he put out that I fucking fell in love with. So, Blindside by Peter Watts. It is set in the year 2082, which I find hilarious. I don't know why that's like such a sci-fi trope, is they like throw a date at the wall, and they're like, Oh yeah, definitely by this date we're going to be at like post-human status and we're going to have like armies of like robot servants and everything that are just catering to our every whim. I think they did that in iRobot. <laughs> it was like in the far future, 2015, <laughs> we're going to have this like dystopic robot overlord future. It is interesting because there's like the Moore's law would suggest that you are that we are able to progress society in a bad or good way that fast. But it doesn't and it's like i know we said this is not a politics thing but like why the fuck do you think that like all innovations in in technology are solely to like make you watch porn in higher definition like that's all it is that's it's cool you're being yes yes you're being driven by the consumer desire the the demand they're trying to create a demand for the products that they already know how to make and that's the only innovation that you're going to see innovation primarily in like ways to get advertising data from like users, like user data for advertising and marketing. Yeah. That's the innovation that's happening, right? Innovation they're like curing so cancer optimistic. and shit, that doesn't happen. Yeah, they're all so optimistic. They're like, oh, in just 20 years, we're going to have the technology to like live in a post-capitalist, uh, like luxury gay space communism kind of thing. It's like, oh, you sweet summer child. <laughs> like, yeah. why, why do you put dates on anything? Just say in the future. <laughs> it's not worth it. It would be possible otherwise. It's like, but capitalism. Yeah, we're still trudging along from the advances that we made with some like DOD research projects on like touch screens and the internet and shit back in the 80s. And we've just been like tweaking the edges of that to make it more consumer friendly for the past fucking 40 years. That's what we consider innovation. Apple didn't invent touch screens or didn't invent the phone. They just put those things together, called it innovation. And meanwhile, like we're just suffering because we're not putting anything into nasa who are actually doing innovative shit or you know shit like that. anyways year is 2082 in the far far future essentially like the the backdrop of this whole book is that they live in a post-human like transhuman kind of society people are modifying themselves or like grafting fucking robot arms to to themselves they're like splicing computers and in, directly into their spinal column so that it can like help them cogitate better and everything cogitate. like think gooder so the main character is this guy named Siri Keaton and Siri Keaton as a child had like debilitating epileptic seizures. I actually very much appreciated this because I don't think there's a direct link between Peter Watts and Thomas Ligotti, but Ligotti brought up mm -hmm. in uh, the conspiracy against the human race, like seizures fuck with you. Not like the person who is experiencing the epileptic seizure, but the people who are watching it. Because it is concrete 
proof to your eyes that like your body can take over at any second and do whatever the fuck it wants and you're not in control like it causes that uh, that like uncanniness in your sense of self whenever you watch someone experience a seizure like that it fucks with you mentally so I very much appreciated that the main character of this book suffered from epileptic seizures as a child to the point that his parents had him go through like highly experimental surgery to ex- essentially just like sever, excise sever the corpus callosum is that what happened um, basically separate the left and right hemispheres Yes, that's yeah. exactly what they did. Okay, yeah. They that's... just excised half his brain out of his head. Wait, what? Yeah, th- I mean, this is this is like transhuman stuff. It's far future. Well, they didn't... Did they cut half of his brain out, or did they sever the connection between the two hemispheres? I think they cut half his brain out. I could be wrong, but they, like, implanted the other hemisphere of his brain was essentially just, like, a, a hyper-advanced computer. That he would use to like look stuff up on their version of the internet and like run through calculations and head and stuff like that. So he is literally like half AI, half person. Okay. Well, you know, like that shit is. Have you looked up the real shit about severing the corpus callosum? No, tell me the real shit. Yeah. So, like, that is a treatment that they do these days to um, Mm -hmm. limit the severity and frequency of epileptic seizures in people with severe epilepsy. Um, And what they do is like essentially they can like sever that bridge between the left and right hemispheres because seizure is the way it was explained to me is that it's like an electrical storm moving back and forth between the hemispheres mm-hmm. of the brain and you can basically put a wall down like like a fire break for a forest fire or something and just limit the severity of it by preventing that bridge between the two hemispheres so if they sever it your body still functions the brain is still connected in every other way just not to itself at that point so it, like yeah. your body, you can still walk around just fine. You know, it's not like you had a seizure. You're not dumber or anything. It's fine. But um, they did notice under very specific conditions, some like creepy shit would start to emerge um, if they experimented with these people. And it was um, because left brain, right brain, like they're connected to different parts of the brain or parts of the body and like are responsible for different like core functions. Mm-hmm. So they would put basically like if you're if they'd sit you down at a table and they'd put a mirror bisecting your your face you know so like like right at your nose yeah right at your nose so like your right eye can't see your left hand and your left eye can't see your right hand and it would Mm -hmm. just it would divide the two so like like really the right eye would only see the right half of your body and the left eye would only see Mm -hmm. the left half of your body and there was no crossover so they put a divider right in the middle of like your vision then would like basically conduct an interview with these people and they would say what do you want to be or when you were a kid what did you want to be when you grow up and the guy would be like oh it's easy i want to be a doctor but then they would give a pen to him put it in his hand and say okay write that out and the hand would write race car driver that's awesome yeah and they can replicate that over and over again and basically the theory is that is emerging is that by severing the two of them the brain tissue becomes like sort of separately conscious and Mm -hmm. that there's slight personality differences where two people end up living inside the same skull oh yeah we're definitely going to get back to that later in this novel so i i 100 think that he was like using that surgery that you were talking mm-hmm. about that specific type of surgery that they do all the time i think he just took it to the next level by being like okay we're not going to like bisect the hemispheres of the brain we're just going to fucking remove one <laughs> from his head it comes back later in the story as to like why the, the cybernetic half of his brain is important to like the overall structure of the story, you know? Okay. So this guy, Siri Keaton had this experimental surgery to just <laughs> didn't know you had experimental surgery to get your balls removed. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what is that from? That's from a, 
Talladega Nights. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was gonna say Step Brothers. <laughs> With all due respect, I didn't know you got experimental surgery. Get your balls in. <laughs> okay, so he had this experimental surgery, and what this causes within him, like as a person, is he has basically no capacity for empathy. He doesn't think of like people or himself as people. He's just a person who ingests stimuli and like outputs responses. And he doesn't understand emotion. He doesn't understand people caring about shit, really. But he he's very good, and he's actually extremely charismatic, at going through the motions of pretending to be a human, essentially. Because he has this hyper-analytical half of his brain, so he can read people really well, he can emulate their posture, their body position, how they speak, and he can emulate all this to the point that he's actually like a very charismatic guy, but he acknowledges himself that he has like nothing to him. He's not a person, or at least he doesn't seem to be a person. And so this makes him a very good passive observer of people. And he becomes what is called a synthesist. And in this novel, what was the what was the thing that happened to him that caused him to be this way? Where he's a passive observer that doesn't like what what was the, it, it was the surgery itself that okay, caused that this. surgery. So this is it sounds like he's blending <clears throat> two different stories because that's the yeah. story. Have you heard of Phineas Gage? No, tell me. Oh yeah, I have. He got like a um, like a a piece of metal. Like I feel like he worked on like a railroad or something. Correct. Yeah, and he got like this like piece of like metal like through his head, but like he okay. survived. And then everyone was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he survived. But then the, the catch was that he, like, his personality was, like, completely different after that. Yeah. It was, it's a real thing. Um, it's a true story. It is. It, it was, like, a freak accident where, yeah. like, an explosion went. I think they are blasting or something. I think you're right. Um, at a railroad blasting, like, to get through some, ter- you know, whatever. And explosion went off. And, like, when the dust settles, he had a railroad spike, like, through his eye. That came out the top of his head, and it was just lodged there. And they're like, "Oh God, there's a death on the railroad, or whatever." And then they realized he's still alive, and he was talking to them. And they took him to the hospital and got it removed. And he just had like, you know, an eye patch and like some surgical reconstruction on top of his head. The only Crenshaw. thing it damaged was the ventromedial prefrontal cortex. That's the one I keep remembering, which is like the one that's strongly associated with your ability to empathize, to see one another. Like, really, mm. he couldn't tell the difference between, um, like. A parking ticket and murder, uh, like not a parking ticket, but like um, like a traffic violation and murder, or like being rude to yeah. someone and like assaulting them. Like he couldn't, he couldn't differentiate between yeah, like yeah. impolite and immoral. Like it was, he didn't make the connection. At yeah, all. So yeah. His life fell apart. He, his life fell apart. They called him like they were like, yeah, that's no longer the same guy. That's a different person. And he just basically wasn't a human after that. Yeah, so this is 100%. I, I totally buy that Peter Watts, the author, knew that story and incorporated it mm-hmm. here. 100%, like, I buy that. So Siri Keaton, after he goes through the surgery, like, loses all empathy in the same way that this guy with the railroad spike did. Instead of, like, his life falling apart, he actually became extremely successful. He became successful as what is called in this universe a synthesis. And what the synthesis does is they take these communications from like these post-human entities that can barely like these post-human entities are like so incredibly intelligent like they speak essentially quantum language like like imagine if someone tried to speak to you in binary you need a translator to like understand it essentially for him these post-human entities that are 
they've either like melded their fucking brains together or they're just like massively advanced AIs or stuff like that. They can't even like reach back and communicate to the rest of the human race because they're just on a different level. However, like he's advanced enough where he can more or less understand what they're saying and then human enough to a certain extent and like he ropes in the passive observer mentality that he's always been a part of. He's like human enough to be able to communicate like back to the rest of the fucking plebs that are still on earth trying to figure shit out. And he does this by essentially like concocting narratives in terms of like, imagine if you were going to communicate some kind of like post quantum fucking like scientific theory, but there's like no way you can actually get a human brain to like think past three dimensions or something like that. He would try to find a way narratively to communicate that to normal humans, but he applies this like across the board. So that's our, that's our main character. He is the synthesis. Now, once you have all of that established, like you get kind of the background there, all the people are just like hanging around on earth and chilling. And one day, the entire sky lights up with just like a web of lights over them. It looks like super bright stars, but it's like geometrically aligned, um, very specifically in orbit around Earth. They all just show up. They all just start flashing brightly, and then they fall into the atmosphere and just dissolve and disappear. And everyone's like, what the fuck just happened? What? Like Everyone on Earth saw this. No one really knows what it is. And they start dubbing this event called, they call it like the firefly event. Because it just looks like a million fireflies just showed up on Earth and then just dissolved into the atmosphere. You get 10,000 hugs from, or a thousand hugs from 10,000 fireflies. Al City. I can't believe my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) The humans, whoever's like kind of is running the show, realize that they just got caught with their fucking pants down. Because one... These objects that just, sh- that just showed up in the sky were clearly directed by something. Like, that doesn't, that's not a natural phenomenon. It wouldn't just happen. It came fucking out of nowhere. And they realized that these, like, little firefly things were essentially cameras. Like, someone just came in while you're showering, <laughs> like, fucking threw the curtain back, took a picture of you, and then walked out. And there's, like, not shit you can do about it. It's essentially what just happened to the entire human race. And so they realized that there's some other intelligence out there. That essentially just like took a picture of the human race with their pants down with no warning and fucked off from there. And so everyone is shitting their pants. They're like, we just got outmatched. The technological advancement that it would take, the intelligence that it would take to pull off a maneuver like this is so far beyond our own that like we have to start figuring this out. What they do is they start throwing probes all over the solar system. And as I starting to like hone in on where this alien intelligence could have come from, there's all kinds of theories. Like it could be a ship they could be on a different planet. Like we don't fucking know what's going on. They start honing down on where these uh, intelligences might be. And so they get a crew together, like uh, fucking interstellar style or sunshine style. They get a crew together and they just launch the most hyper advanced ship that has ever been created in this like post-human transhuman society. And on that ship, they have, like, five people, five or six people. One of them is Siri Keaton because he's the world's most renowned synthesis, and he's also on a ship with a bunch of people who are, like, barely human anymore. There is – they have, like, some kind of combat person on there. She's, like, a major or something. I don't quite know, like, why she's important. They have a biologist who's on there named Isaac, and this biologist – kind of interesting the the juxtaposition because this biologist is basically mostly robot 
Like he's basically just like a human spinal cord just grafted onto. Oh, like General Grievous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's really it, he's like the biologist. They're assuming they're going to go like meet some aliens. They need a biologist on there who can like figure shit out. But the biologist himself is not bio- biological, barely. And it's kind of interesting. They they have like some scenes where he will just like jack into. Like, I'm imagining some doctor's table with all these, like, fucking arms going over it and shit like that. And he's, like, running it across the room and, like, using the arms to, like, interact with everything. And Siri Keaton has this moment where he's, like, watching him do his work. Your consciousness does not exist, like, in your body. Your consciousness exists essentially in whatever electronic systems that you're interacting with at any given second. Anyways, so they have this biology. They have a person called The Gang. And the gang is a sociologist slash linguist who like willingly induced in herself multiple personalities that all occupy one body. So she has like a host. They all call her mom. um, And she's the one who's like normally out. I think her name is Susan or something. She's the one who's like normally out and running the body like 50% of the time. But then she'll like pass off control of her body to her alters, which all have like different personalities um like one of the alternate alters can experience synesthesia can see sound like yeah, you can see music and stuff senses. like that yeah they have one that's like super harsh and like masculine that comes out like if they're in they need to be in like a defensive situation um and they have like a couple others at, at varying levels of like sentience that all exist within the body and this helps her one like interpret languages really well like she can speak like an ungodly number of languages because each one of her alters has like a separate uh, swath of languages that they can choose from. And she uses this and she uses this in order to like rapidly identify like sociological patterns and like all kinds of just like random shit like that. She's the best in her class of what she does because of this like personality separation that she has. They have, they have like an artificial intelligence that is kind of like running the show of the ship and everything. They just call it the captain. I think one of the most interesting members of the crew that they have is literally a vampire. And it sounds wild. It's Edward Cullen. Like, okay, like sci-fi. Yeah, Edward <laughs> Edward Cullen, but cool, you know. Okay. They have they have a vampire in the crew. And the backstory that this author constructs for the vampire is very fascinating because humanity figured out that one like vampires are real as shit. Yeah, I've been saying that. I knew that since like 8th grade. <laughs> didn't we all um they were actually predators from the pleistocene era that specifically evolved to one like fit in with humans and two like hunt them down ruthlessly and he comes up with all these like actually fascinating scientific theories on how vampires could actually exist and they are hyper predators he essentially frames them as like okay imagine you take a human psychopath who has like no empathy no consciousness really uh i think jim do you know the concept of the philosophical zombie i'm assuming i'm assuming you do know that right yeah i mean i don't i, I read it and i didn't really get the idea i mean it was like a thought experiment to talk about how someone could be a person by every external like yeah. look and and investigation like it would hold up to all medical and scientific scrutiny but it just wouldn't mm-hmm. be a person because it can like it can conceal that from you or something like that Yes. So that that is his like formulation of essentially what a vampire is. It's a philosophical zombie that doesn't have conscious experience and it's been evolving for millions of years specifically to hunt humans. 
so it can and the re the reason it has to hunt humans is because like some some like protein that humans generate in like their spinal column that these uh that these hunters can't generate on their own due to some like evolutionary quirk um and so they have to essentially cannibalize humans in order to get that protein otherwise like they're gonna but they don't have conscious die. experience like what's the they don't they are hyper intelligent psychopaths essentially that that's don't have why would they bring him on the yeah. ship well okay that's not that's ahead of the point i want to make i want to make uh, a point farther before the prior to this okay go for the, it that doesn't make any goddamn sense if you like if it's a thing that like is a computational intelligent predatory thing that evolved like it they have to have some sort of conscious experience by my evaluation if he's trying to say that like oh like the humans have conscious experience like you and i do we walk around we say things and we have plans and shit you know but this vampire over here he's literally just a super advanced robot and you can go with one or the other you can go with like panpsychism or something and say that like all things have like all of these organisms have consciousness to include fucking ants you know probably not very interesting internal lives but they got internal lives or you got to flip it around and say that none of them have, like, because that's the philosophical zombie point is that we're all fucking philosophical zombies. Like the existence itself is illusory, and that's what Buddha's fucking telling everyone about. But like, why do this weird neo-Christian thing where he's like, "Well, see, the vampires are like humans, but they don't have souls." Like that's what that sounds like to me. So I think Peter Watts would say, one, that humans themselves don't have consciousness, and the reason the vampires are so fucky to people, like. He, he talks about how if a vampire, like, walks into the room, like, you just kind of start sweating. It's like if you're walking through the forest and you knew someone was looking at you, it's like that feeling is on you all the time. And it's this, like, really strange uncanniness that all of the humans experience. And Peter Watts kind of posits it as, like, okay, if no one has consciousness and we're all kind of just, like, fake a human would have a really hard time looking at something that looks exactly like them, looks like a human with the arms and the legs and the face and like the speaking and can like blend right in with their society, but also know that they are a ruthless predator that will eat your brains in a half second and could like do it easily. Like, I think that's the point that he's trying to make with the vampires and specifically like brought them up into this story. So vampires to get back to where we are, are these psychopathic beings that are hyper intelligent and the reason that they're intelligent is because like their mind can pursue multiple tracks of thought at the same time and he explains this by saying like okay do you know like the wire diagram of a cube like a three-dimensional mm -hmm. cube mm -hmm. if you look at it one way you kind of see like one side facing you if you look at it the other way you see like the other a different side facing yeah. you right yeah. vampires can do both at once they can like witness and like perceive and conceptualize both sides of that three-dimensional wire cube at the same time and this makes them like very efficient predators specifically for humans because they can like predict and theorize about like possible outcomes of a bunch of different maneuvers that they could make when they're hunting humans and like analyze all of those simultaneously so they're incredibly intelligent and like very good at hunting people however this comes with a very interesting psychological quirk because of the fact that they can witness both sides of that three-dimensional cube at the same time. They have a very hard time dealing with Euclidean geometry, <laughs> which would explain why vampires in human myth can't go through doors. 
because doors are just fucking rectangles. <laughs> yeah. It's just a bunch of Euclidean geometry. Yeah. Same thing as to why the cross would fuck with them. Like if they experience, if they look at a cross, it like fucking fries their brain because they can't like conceive of all of those right angles happening at the same time. You know, it just like ruins them. So it's like has some very interesting tie-ins with talk? like, yeah, they absolutely can talk. How do they stop this guy from eating? What's his name? Sirius? Sirius? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like the, the phone. Up. So when they brought them this, this is like all backstory and like the world of building and everything is like when they brought back the vampires genetically just by like recloning some old dna that oh they, found, they were they were they extinct like, yeah they were extinct because once humans started building doors the vampires got fucked <laughs> so you have these hyper advanced uh predator creatures that existed for millennia just get fucked by a door because <laughs> of an evolutionary quirk so yeah they were extinct the humans bring them back and they have like they have like cognitive blockers in them that they have to like take pills for it and shit like that that allow them to function in a society that has a shit ton of euclidean geometry everywhere so they have like controls but the reason that he is on the ship is because he's the one that communicates directly with the captain ai that is like hyper advanced and it's because like they're i guess just like their brain formulations match each other really well so like vampire ai the vampire the ai like uses the vampire to like communicate shit about the ship and stuff like that and that's why he's on. Also, he's just like crazy intelligent and he's more or less on their side, but it's like, it's always a little bit nerve wracking because they're like, I don't know if you're going to fucking eat me or not. So that's the crew. You've got Siri, the synthesis. You've got the vampire. You've got the AI. You've got Isaac, the biologist. You've got the gang who's like the, the linguist and sociologist. And then you've got the, the major who she controls like robots and shit like that. She, she's the fighter essentially. And they jump out in past the solar system, like way out into space. They're in fucking stasis for forever. And they pull up around this gas giant. And they recognize something about this gas giant. There seems to be like this swarm thing that is orbiting the gas giant. And this swarm is essentially like, imagine just like little buckets that dip into the atmosphere of the gas giant, pick up a whole shit ton of matter, and then like disappear back into the swarm. And they're, they're like looking at this like, what the fuck is going on? Is this like some hyper advanced, like swarm like intelligent thing? Like what is going on here? Where, where are these things disappearing to? It's like the geometry doesn't make sense for what they're like witnessing. And so they pull up next to it and they're trying to figure out what the fuck this thing is. And then they receive, they receive a communication. Their comms light up and they receive a communication and someone just like pops up onto their like little internet radio chatter thing and they're like hey what's up <laughs> welcome what's going on guys and they're like okay what the fuck's going on this alien conscious being thing they don't know what it is just essentially started talking to them in their own language in a way that's like very just like informal and obviously they make the immediate conclusion that this alien thing has been watching and studying the human race for a while. So it makes sense that it would be able to interpret human language, but it doesn't make sense how well it's able to do it. And so they put the sociologist on this, and this person is like flipping between a lot of their alters and a lot of their personalities talking to this alien. They're having conversations. They're trying to figure out how much information did they divulge. And the alien's going back and forth like, hey, I'm going to introduce myself. My name, I am Rorschach. <laughs> and they're like, what the fuck? Um, I'm Rorschach. I'm an alien ship. 
I'm doing this. Can y'all just stay away from me? Blah, 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 blah. They're just having this very normal conversation. But they're trying to get as much information they can about the alien species. And the alien species is trying to do the same thing about the humans. Just trying to understand as much information as possible. And so the sociologist as they're having this discussion with the alien realizes that the alien doesn't have any reference, like any ability to like reference people or like beings or relationships between people or emotions and stuff like that. One thing that the, uh, the sociologist says to the alien, she's like, our cousins lie about the family trees with nieces and nephews and Neanderthals. We do not like annoying cousins. And the alien responds, we'd like to know about this tree. It completely ignores everything about nieces and nephews and cousins and stuff like that. Anything that has like a relational component. And she realizes that she's not speaking to a conscious being. She's speaking to like a hyper intelligence that was able to figure out her language, but has like no referent consciousness to speak of. Yeah, that's John Searle's Chinese room experiment. Yep. That's exactly what it is. Cool. Yeah, like the, I mean, long story short, I might screw this up, so tell me, but uh, John Searle's the analytic philosopher, philosopher of mind, talking about how artificial intelligence is essentially impossible to the extent that you are an intelligent being because Mm -hmm. it is possible for a machine or a mechanism of some sort to learn a language in its entirety but never understand the actual concepts that it's translating. So uh, the example was if you have a guy just in a room with a lexicon of all Chinese characters and the, and the corresponding words in English. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just have a little slit in the door and you, you hand a Chinese character, like you push a Chinese character through the slit. He looks up that Chinese character in the lexicon. He identifies it through like just analyzing the shape. He doesn't have to, he doesn't speak Chinese, mm-hmm. finds it, translates it to English and pushes the English, writes the English word on a piece of paper and pushes it back out the slit. And you say from the person's outside's perspective, they say, look, this is a translating machine. It understands um, mm-hmm. Chinese. It can translate from Chinese to English and from English to Chinese. But the thing, the intelligent thing inside that, like the computational power inside that room, had no understanding of Chinese. Never spoke Chinese, mm-hmm. never will. Like doesn't know what it is. And that's the, it's a disproof of uh, the possibility of like sentience in artificially yeah. intelligent com- uh, computers. Yeah, it's, it's basically an explanation for why you can have an extremely intelligent thing that to all outside appearances presents intelligence. It can compute, it can speak, it can like understand grammar and logic and the lexicon and everything, but it's not actually intelligent. It just takes inputs, gives outputs, and the people on this ship realize that they're talking to what is essentially a Chinese room doesn't understand any of the concepts it's just trying to keep them busy and keep kind of sounds from like the main character sh- yeah a little bit doesn't it? <laughs> that, that'll come back thematically <laughs> this is like this is people again trying to salvage like john searle for instance trying to salvage um sentience and consciousness and essentially mm-hmm. the analytic version of the soul from science they want to say like this machine this computer that i'm podcasting on could never be sentient because no matter how much translating ability how smart it gets it will never understand what i'm actually conveying to it and they're saying like that's why that's why it's always gonna be different than i am because i understand things it's like but if you look at it don't the same associations happen inside your head and that's the only thing that's happening the point being that maybe you're just the chinese room too none of us actually understand any of these concepts none of us are anything other than complex automatons and the extent oh, yeah. to which we seem like we have a soul is the extent to which we're able to 
effectively fool ourselves into thinking that we really do understand it. There were feminist yeah. authors that wrote about this, too. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Say more. The Cyborg Manifesto. I mean, it's kind of like a like a piece a lot of people like make fun of. Like, but Donna Haraway wrote about that. The, like, the more, like... Um, and this was in the 80s she was writing this, but the more, like, advanced that we become, like, technologically, um, mm-hmm. the more, like, we, like, humans ourselves become cyborgs, essentially. Um, the, oh, <laughs> the less we really, I think, like, accept that we have, like, a consciousness, like, separate from, like, a machine's, like, artificial mm-hmm. intelligence. Yeah. They realize that they've been speaking to a Chinese room this whole time. And they realize that probably the only thing that this intelligence is trying to do is just, like, keep them the fuck away. So they make the decision, like, we're going to go fuck with this thing. <laughs> like, let's get up in its business. We don't even know if it's intelligent or, like, we don't even know if it's conscious. Like, we have to go figure this thing out. It could be a threat to the human race. It could just be passing through the solar system. We have no fucking clue. So they start pulling, like, these kind of maneuvers and shit like that. And they realize that they're actually getting fucked with. Um, it by a defensive mechanism of this thing that they're trying to engage with. And if they move their ship along certain like angles in relation to the center point of this massive swarm thing, they actually get glimpses of what they're actually talking about, which is like an alien ship. And once they perceive a fraction of the alien ship, the entire facade falls away. In terms of, like, the alien just realized it had been, like, essentially perceived. Once the alien realized it had been perceived for what it really was, it just dropped the facade. So, like, okay, I've been perceived. It's done. And what they witness is that this is actually a kilometers in diameter torus, essentially, like a, a ring. And they call it a crown of thorns because it is, like, this ring that is created of carbon nanotubes that like fractally fall in on themselves in a type of geometry that like no human would ever be able to conceive of. It wouldn't be functional. It wouldn't like, they have no idea why it looks like this. The only thing that they can really theorize is that it's the most efficient way that this ship can find out how to re like build on itself with the matter that it's scooping up from the gas giant that is currently orbiting around. So, they're, they now can see what this alien ship looks like, and it looks like literally the Jesus crown of thorns, but just, like, magnified, like, metal as hell. Metal as all hell. I'm picturing, like, a fucking Gojira album cover or something like that. And so they decide they got to fucking get on this thing. And they do some, like, really cool maneuvers and shit like that, and they, like, blow a hole in the side of it. They, they don't know if this thing has weaponry or not. They're kind of just fucking going for it. And so they blow a hole inside and they determine that they they have to go inside. And they realize that the entire interior of the ship is just a wash in some of like the most powerful like radiation and magnetism that they've ever really experienced. And they calculate out that they can go in there as humans with their like biological tissue and survive for about like four to six hours or so before they literally just fall apart at the molecules. But they have like they have powerful enough post-human machinery back on the ship that they can reconstruct themselves at the cellular level. So their fucking plan is to go into the ship, die essentially, get like live just enough that they can get back to the ship, reconstruct themselves, and continue to do this as they go in and out of the ship and try to get as much information as possible. 
and they're driven by this sense of urgency because they don't know if this thing is a threat they don't know if it's conscious they don't know what it wants to do with the human race but they do know that it's continually building on itself and at some point they have the assumption that if it gets strong enough there's literally not a single thing that the human race could do to prevent this thing from doing whatever fuck it wants with earth so that's why they're like driven by this sense of urgency to get on this ship and they go onto this ship and they're experiencing these spikes of massive amounts of radiation and magnetism that are like fucking with literally the neurons in their brain. And every time they experience one of these spikes, it is like a fucking trip just gone as bad as you can possibly imagine. Like walls are moving, they're hearing whisperings like in, in their ears and stuff like that. They're seeing skulls pop out at them. And they all know consciously that this isn't true. This isn't really happening. It's just like the radiation is fucking with them and the ship itself is fucking with them, but they have to keep going in. And there's a scene in the book wherever the radiation spikes and every single one of these crew members just start losing their fucking minds. Like one person starts trying to like rip their own limbs off of themselves. Like they have a, le they have like one leg that they're like digging through their spacesuit to try to like get the leg off of them. They have one person who actually holds it together the best as they're trying to salvage this fucked, like, intrusion mission. The one who holds it together the best is the one who thinks they're dead already. She's like, just leave me. I'm already dead. There's nothing you can do to save me. But she's, like, working to, to help the rest of the team escape from the ship and everything. And they're, like, trying to get her to come out of the ship with them. And she's like, it doesn't matter. I'm dead. Just leave me. I'll be fine. Like, what's the difference between whatever state I'm in previously and whatever state I'm in now? There's one person, they're in, like, pitch black darkness, cannot see a thing. They don't have any running lights on any of the equipment that they have. And this dude's like, yeah, I can see perfectly fine. What are y'all complaining about? I can, I can definitely, like, just go over there and he'll be like, he'll try to go over to this, like, other part of the ship. And, like, there's a fucking wall there. He can't actually do it. And then there's another person. I'm trying to think of, like, what are some of the other ones are. Um, anyways, they just have all of these like random different things that when you like do the research on the back end, like, is this shit real? Like, can the human brain actually do this to you? You realize that there's actually delusions and disorders that map one-to-one -to, -one to all of the things that they were experiencing and that the aliens had figured that out and was using that as a weapon against them. So the one person who thought that they were dead was experiencing what's called Cotter's delusion, which is literally that you believe and no one can convince you otherwise that you either don't exist or that you have died already. And this manifests, or like this actually happened in a couple of really interesting cases where uh, I think there was like a 14 year old epileptic boy, the epilepsy keeps coming back, who experienced this after his seizures. And he would like express, he would always be talking about death. He, he would uh, like experience chronic sadness, decreased physical activity, a bunch of social withdrawals. He's like, I'm already fucking dead. What does it matter? Um, and these episodes would last between like three weeks to a couple of months. And whenever he was in the midst of every of these episodes, he would just walk around and be like, I'm dead. You're dead. That tree is dead. I'm a dead body. <laughs> the world is, is dead. Like, which is essentially the author just brought this in and slapped it into this book. And what he's trying to do by like bringing all of these delusions and symptoms and syndromes to the forefront is like break down the reader's conception of what consciousness really is because if you have all of these delusions that exist and you can manifest them 
at will, like if the aliens can manifest them at will on you, what are you really certain that your own conception of reality is the, is the one that we should be going with right now? So like the, the guy who thought he could see but actually couldn't see shit is uh, called Anton syndrome or Anton's blindness, where people who are actually blind fail to accept the fact that they're blind. They think they can see perfectly well. And the doctors are like, doctors will hold up different shit to them and be like, can you see this? And they're like, yeah. And like, what is it? It's like, it's an apple. It's like, no, it's a baseball. <laughs> like, it's not anything. Like, you're completely incorrect. Like they do in The Phantom Menace. When he holds up the thing, he's like, it's a ship, a cup. <laughs> yeah. And they think that the reason that this happens is because, like, the visual cortex of your brain is not able to communicate to the speech language areas of the brain. So your speech language areas of the brain think that they can see and will communicate to outside observers that they can see, but it's a, it's just a, like a lie. The brain is essentially like lying to itself, and the output that you get is these dudes who are stumbling around, walking into walls, and making up all kinds of like random excuses as to why they're walking into shit, despite the fact that they literally cannot see. And I think the last one is body integrity dysphoria. The person who's trying to like rip their leg off of themselves. There's actually there are people who for for whatever reason experience like an intense desire to amputate one of their limbs like they'll they'll have like their arm they'll be like this arm is not mine get it off my body and like sometimes they'll experience like sexual arousal from thinking about the fact that they could like tear one of their limbs off or something and i don't think it's ever been really confirmed but there have been self reports of people who have like considered going and like laying on train tracks and like letting a train just like run over their arm or something and amputate it just right at like right at the uh, elbow or something. Um, so all of these things are manifesting at the same time. And these people are hyper aware of it and can't do anything about it. Just because you're aware of the fact that you're experiencing Cotard solution doesn't mean you can actually fix the fact that you think you're dead. Like I'm not here to kink shame, but dude, like, <laughs> <laughs> huh? Body integrity disorder. I remember or dysphoria, body integrity dysphoria. Mm -hmm. I've I've heard about that because I don't know why. It was like I looked. I was looking at tattoos, and someone said tattoos was like a hot. It was like Wikipedia, I think you know, because Wikipedia always talks about things in a way way more general way than you're mm -hmm. used to talking about things. So it's like tattoos. At least at the time, it was like um, a tattoo is a socially accepted form of self mutilation. It's <laughs> like. What the fuck? Yes, and self-mutilation had its own link, so I clicked on self-mutilation, and I was, like, reading about this, these, like, creepy-ass parties where people would go to, and they would, like, take turns, like, ceremonially cutting off parts of their body or something, and it was considered, like, a big achievement. Yeah, I, I feel like it was 19th century shit, but I started having some yeah. fucked up nightmares after that, you know? Like, I remember this, I still remember this nightmare I woke up from where it's like a, like, a daguerreotype of, like, a guy with, like, a tourniquet around his like shoulder stump and he's just holding his arm like it's like like he's just proud of it. he's like look what i did i cut this thing off yeah, check it out because you're not in control of your consciousness yeah they're experiencing it's fucking freaky dude yeah. they're experiencing all of this shit at the same time and like watching it pop up in the person next to them while they're trying to like do the scientific mission going into this ship that is like actively fighting back against their presence and it's wild so I think you could just shoot them, like just drive physical matter into whatever the physical thing is, 
destroy it. Yeah, well, I mean, they they have all kinds of hesitations about that too because they don't even know if this is the only ship. There could be a million of them. Mm -hmm. And so they're trying to essentially do like the most surgical method of like figuring out what's going on without doing violence to this thing in case it can react or bring other other alien ships in, in there. So they're going through and at some point they're going through these like chambers of these like really weird fractal like tunnels that are going through all of all throughout this ship and there's a scene where the main character siri keaton everyone starts just like yelling at him they're like stop fucking stop fucking moving what are you doing like stop doing this he's like what what is going on and they're like can you not see it it's right in front of you He's like looking around. He's like, I can't see fucking shit. What are y'all talking about? A whole bunch of shit like goes haywire from that immediate moment because they figure out that there's an alien within the room with them at that exact moment. And one of their fucking members can't see it at all. Just like stumbled across it. Everyone's yelling at him. They're like, it's right fucking in front of you. And he can't see it. He couldn't reach out and touch it. Like he has no idea what's going on. A whole bunch of shit spirals out in that scene. Like there's a bunch of action shooting and whatever the fuck. And they eventually get this creature thing back onto their own ship so that the biologists can study it. The best way I could really describe it is like an octopus kind of like kind of crossed with a starfish, right? Because obviously the, the author is a marine biologist and he wanted to make like the most freaky kind of alien, that freaky, most like anti-human alien that could exist out there. And so the biologist is going through and studying this like alien specimen that they have. He realizes that it has like a different type of energy like manipulation than humans do, like ATP versus like different types of protein synthesis and how they expend energy. It's cellular metabolism, I think is what you're trying yeah, yeah, to exactly. say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. And so they realize that this alien can move extremely fast for extremely brief periods of time, like minutes or something like that. And then after that, it has to go hibernate for months and months while it regains its energy. What this alien was doing, it was vibrating itself back and forth fast enough that Siri Keaton, the person who is like visually trying to witness this thing, couldn't see it. And this alien was taking effect... Uh, taking advantage of a phenomenon in human visual perception called cessatic masking. So cessatic masking, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, Mandy, if, if I'm not, just say I don't it, know. But, uh, <laughs> I never heard of it. So, so cessatic masking is what happens, is the reason you can't see your own eye movement. So whenever your eye like scans around a room, it's not actually moving smoothly from right to left or left to right. It's like jumping from point to point all the way along that spectrum of sight that you're looking at. And you can see this, uh, like if you have someone, if you like move your hand or like your finger across someone's eyes, you'll see it jitter as it's going across. It's not a smooth movement. This essentially happens because your eye isn't seeing a continuous image. It is taking snapshots, almost like a computer does. It's taking snapshots point by point by point all along the way. And everything in between those points you're, you're functionally blind. You don't see anything. Transcestatic memory is what your brain does and essentially to like stitch together these individual images so that you don't see them as individual Im images. You see them as like a continuous feed. The way that your brain does this is by essentially like constructing a narrative surrounding what it's seeing. Like, okay, this object is here. There's this amount of depth. Uh, and like why it takes your brain a while to develop object permanence. It's like you're essentially developing transcestatic memory so that your brain can handle this input. What the alien was doing 
as it was vibrating itself fast enough that it only was visually perceptible in the blind spots of Siri Keaton's like cystatic masking, essentially. So it was completely invisible to him, but the other people in the room could see it because the alien couldn't vibrate itself along the different frequencies of everyone's different like cystatic uh, rhythm. They they figured out like why these aliens were invisible to Siri, and they kind of postulated that these aliens had probably been hanging out in the rooms with them the entire time that they were just like hanging out on the ship and just like watching what they were doing and trying to figure out what they were doing, as long as those aliens could only focus on like one person at a time. They also realized that these aliens are incredibly hyper intelligent because they have a distributed nervous system all throughout their like octopus. Uh, starfish kind of oh, like body, a real right? octopus mm-hmm. yeah so you you think of a real octopus that i think they have like different mini brains like different uh like neural cortexes that control each of the limbs that are yeah, just, their like, cns is like distributed shit. it's not just like in the middle yeah so the same thing applies to these aliens like whereas humans kind of have like a central brain spinal cord yeah these aliens don't have that their intelligence is actually distributed over their entire bodies and what this means is they have a, an incredibly like wild ability to just think and postulate and interpret uh, schema and like interpret stimuli and think critically about their own survival and stuff like that. But because of this distributed intelligence, they have no concept of themselves. They don't have any concept of like, I am an alien thing. I... I am this or you are that or anything like that. It is only essentially in the very similar way that the vampires are. It's just a hyper intelligent being with no conscious conception of itself. And so once they realize this, they are fucked. One, because this thing is so far technologically advanced past them. But two, they think about the interactions that the aliens would have had with the human race. Imagine they pop into the solar system. They realize that there is another intelligent being, but they themselves don't have any idea of what consciousness is. They wouldn't understand what emotion is. They don't understand what art is. And they witness Earth doing its bullshit, uh, fucking around, watching movies, people sending messages to each other that all of these uh, aliens can pick up on and interpret and read and like understand, but not consciously understand in the, the Chinese room kind of style. So someone would be saying like, hey babe, I love you. And the aliens would just not fucking know, have no way to interpret that really outside of like the social concept of love, but not like the conscious concept of love. So if you're this hyper-intelligent, non-conscious being and you experience human language, what would your what would your conclusion be? Your conclusion, according to Peter Watts, would be that you're being attacked because what else would be the function of human language if not to waste like your processes, your thinking, your essentially like memory that you're going to in, in order to interpret, evaluate, break down human language? It would come across as essentially like a DDoS attack of a virus to a non-conscious being. And so these people on the ship realize that not only are these aliens hyper-intelligent, way past any technological human capabilities, two, they're building up to something. Like, this ship is constantly growing and feeding on itself in terms of, like, the matter that it's scooping out of the gas giant. And three, that humanity has already attacked it and we didn't know it. So the ending of the book consists of Siri Keaton, the main character, 
getting launched in a shuttle all the way back to Earth, and it's going to take him like generations and generations. And the aliens are getting more like aggressive, and their ship is fucking falling apart, and all kinds of crazy shit. And he has to shuttle all the way back to Earth to try to communicate this back to the rest of the human race, because that's his job as the synthesis is to communicate complex ideas back to the rest of the human race. There's a scene where the vampire has to confront Siri Keaton because he knows, the vampire knows that Siri Keaton, the main character, does not have empathy for anyone. And how are you going to communicate this story unless you have some version of empathy, like an ability to like truly understand that the human race is fucked. Everyone's lives are on the line unless you can like really provide the emotional impact to this story. <laughs> like Otherwise, we're screwed. So there's the scene at the very end of the book that's kind of like the the turnaround scene for Siri Keaton where the vampire attacks him like viciously and like stabs him a whole shitload of times. Siri Keaton essentially has to like wrestle with the fact that while he thinks he's been a passive observer in this whole epic story that is going on, he's actually been like a very active like integral part of it because you can't in in like a very quantum physics sense you can't perceive something without already affecting the outcome of whatever it could possibly be. And so there's like this whole emotional scene at the very end where like the vampire is fucking with him, like really getting into his head and just like psychologically torturing him. Then it like turns into physical torture <laughs> until he, until Siri Keaton realizes that not only is he like partially human, but he has like he's been purposely distancing himself in a very like passive observer type of way because he thinks it's good for his job. But it's like, hey, wake up, knock knock, motherfucker. You should care about people because that's that's the only thing that like matters really. Oh, by the way, we're gonna shoot you in the shuttle. Go back to Earth and try to save the rest Why of the race. Why would the race. vampire care about the human race? Yeah, uh, th- I mean, there's there's all kinds of shit. Uh, it, like one of the big twists of the books. Uh, spoiler: It's not actually the vampire that's been operating it's been the ai that's been like operating through the vampire kind of just as like a puppet body um but that that's like a whole side oh, track okay. story kind i of was thing, thinking maybe the like thing. the vampires realize like if earth's <laughs> fucked they're fucked too but yeah no, it's actually uh it's like an isaac asimov like the three was it the three laws of robotics like i will not let a human come to harm by my action or inaction or something like that so it's actually the ai operating through the vampire who has calculated all permutations of like future possibilities and realizes that unless this AI can convince the main character that like empathy is a thing that he needs to have and care about, if if like if I shuttle him back to Earth right now and he doesn't actually give a shit about people, we're fucked. He's not gonna be able to communicate this properly. Um, and that's kind of like where the logic all comes down to in terms of that. So long, long story short, I fucking love this book because he takes a lot of like the nihilist philosophy, a lot of like the philosophy of mind stuff, a lot of like poking you in the forehead and be like, Hey, you think you're a conscious being, but like you're really not consciousness is a facade and really ties it all together. And like in really the only way that sci-fi really can in sci-fi basically exists to just create fantastical speculative scenarios in which you can put a lot of really complex ideas together and kind of play around with, how people would react to it, like what that would mean for everybody. Like, what does that mean consciously? Like, what does that mean philosophically? And that is why I can't stop talking about this book. 
And I'll probably still be talking about it after this podcast, but I'm so glad that I've infected everybody with my brain worms. <laughs> Pillow Scream Radio, folks. Never know what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to to be completely fair, one, I just love talking about this kind of stuff, and that's half the reason we're doing this podcast is because we just love talking about this kind of stuff. But I do think that there are tie-ins in terms of how people perceive themselves like there, there's a difference between this like highly analo- analytical philosophy of mind conception of the human experience versus let's say like a traditional christian view of the human experience when you can understand that like we were dragged out of nothingness like our we didn't ask to be born we were perfectly happy in non-existence before this, but then like we're born and this fucking consciousness just gets like manifested as a result of like our genetic makeup and all the circumstances around around us and our parents and our teachers and, our, and the friends and the material circumstances that uh, we grew up in. We really have no fucking clue what's going on. We don't have any clue what's going on. We don't really have any choice in what's going on parse that away from like a lot of the the modern uh contemporary conception of like the human experience where it's like everything that you do is your own choice and it's your fault if you're rich or poor it's your fault if you're a good person or a bad person like if you can pull it away from that it actually fosters a sense of empathy that isn't really available to people who think along like very stark black and white good and evil kind of lines right like, if you can have a fucking railroad spike shot through your head and you become a completely different person, like, if you can understand that conceptually in terms of, like, the empathy it requires to be like, yo, that's fucked up. You have a railroad spike in your brain. Like, that's not a great circumstance for a human being to be in. You can kind of apply that in a really, like, really down the road kind of way to, like, psychopaths and serial killers, right? Or, or people who murder, or people who like break social bounds because of whatever circumstance that they're in, like you get where they're at a little bit more. There was a there was one guy who had been murdering, serial killing, and shit like that. And he asked the doctors after he was executed. He asked the doctors Wait, to after? do an autopsy on him. The guy who was murdering after he was executed asked for this. No, no, no. he. The guy who was murdering asked the doctors that after he was executed. Oh, okay. Like on his dead brain? Yeah, on his dead brain. Like, please autopsy my dead brain. I think there is something in my brain that is causing me to do this. Like, he knew what he was doing was there wrong. There is. couldn't stop it's it. antisocial personality disorder. Well, this guy specifically, when they did the autopsy, they realized they had a, he had a tumor in his brain that was, like, pushing on, like, whatever the fucking cortex was, the same one that the guy got railroad spiked through. Yeah, that just like this tumor was pushing on the empathy part of his brain. And so, like, how can you, like, yes, you acknowledge that fucking serial killers are fucked up. But then you have to acknowledge that he didn't have any choice in his behavior. And, like, that's an extreme example of it. But you take it back to kind of just what we deal with every single day. How do you look at someone? How do you look at a homeless vet? who's like laying on the street and wants money to buy drugs how do you look at him and be like this is your fault you chose these circumstances you chose to be born you chose to have this like conscious experience thrust upon you how do you look at someone like that and be like you deserve it you can't 
And that's why I value this type of thinking, like this type of philosophy of mind stuff, or just like this really out there sci-fi, because it it fosters within you a sense of empathy that, that you don't really get from reading the Bible or like being a libertarian fucking big brain 15 year old or something like that. You don't get that. That's why I wanted to bring it up on the podcast, because everything that we talk about is really just fostering a basic sense of empathy for like your fellow man, your fellow woman, your fellow person. Because unless you and I talking political discourse, talking whatever the hell, unless like you and I have a shared empathy for the human condition, if you don't have that, I can't talk to you. We're operating on different wavelengths. We're operating on a different basis of reality. If you can look at some homeless vet sitting on the side of the road and be like, fuck him, he deserves it. I, I'm not going to be able to convince you. I can't convince you through facts or reason or logic or studies or polls or whatever the fuck. Like, I'm not going to be able to convince you to care about that guy. So unless we have some basis of empathy for people, we're, we're fucked, honestly. <laughs> um, sometimes I feel, like, I feel like Siri Keaton, like, you got to save the human race. You just got to be shouting from the rooftops. Just fucking give a shit about people. That's it. That's all you have to do. Just give a shit about the human experience. Which is why I wanted to bring this up, and why, I've, honestly, I think it like tangentially fits into what we're trying to do here with the podcast. It's just so. another reason to care about people. They didn't choose to have a consciousness or not have one. Yeah, exactly. So that's where I'm coming from. This has been Pillow Scream Radio. At some point in the future, we're going to return to our regularly scheduled podcast. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. I had fun with this one. So maybe maybe I'll find more uh, sci-fi brain, fantasy brain takes so I can just annoy the shit out of Jim constantly. <laughs> but yeah, this has been Pillow Scream Radio. Had a great time. You can find us on Twitter at Pillow Scream Pod. And uh, find, her, find us on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Casts, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever. We would... Only 100% OnlyFans. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we would really appreciate it if you like this kind of content. Just give us a like on Apple Podcasts and shit like that. Otherwise, uh, we will see you next week. Peace out.